Uh, good morning. Great to see you guys. Uh, as Mike said, my name is Dave Peterson. And um, as I stand up here, I realize I haven't formally met some of you. Some, so Steve, and, Steve and Kathy, I was sitting right next to them. Johnson, they uh, support Young Life. They're on a list of mine. I, that's the first time I ever met them. Uh, <laughs> So it's great. And then some of you guys go to 11. For a long time, uh, we went to the 4 p.m. service, and then we started having kids, and that didn't work anymore, and now we just come late. It's kind of, <laughs> so it's just like whenever, whenever we get here. Um, I serve as the area director for Young Life here in Santa Barbara. Uh, my wife and I, we've been attending Santa Barbara Community Church for nine and a half years now. Um, we moved here from Columbia, South Carolina, where we were serving on the Young Life staff. I moved there from Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, where I was serving on the Young Life staff. I moved there. Hi, Lucy. Thanks for being here. Um, I, moved, I moved there after attending Whitworth College in Spokane, Washington, where so many of our youth from this church go. We have a couple of Whitworth people in the house today, at least one. Uh, and I, uh, I actually grew up in Spokane, Washington, um, and let me just say this. this. Oh, this is our crew. This is what we look like if you crossed us. Maybe here's a photo. Oh, I'm in charge of that. <laughs> I'm in charge of that. There we go. That's us. Um, so you may have seen Ashley up front. So many of you have uh, maybe like kind of helped guide our children as they run around crazy. Um, let me say that we are so thankful for this church family. Uh, we're thankful in the way that you pray for us as missionaries and support us as missionaries here in Santa Barbara. Uh, we're thankful. So many of you welcomed us before we ever moved here. So Ashley's brother, Dustin, served on the staff with sports outreach uh, for a lot of years in Charlotte, North Carolina. So there's a whole group of people that either went to Charlotte and helped with sports outreach projects there or went to Uganda and helped uh, build wells with Ashley's brother. And bef- the second that we said, oh, we're moving to Santa Barbara, people were praying for us for us to come to this church. Like it was not an option. There was no, we came here the first Sunday. That was it. Like people were in and they welcomed us in. So many of you have uh, cared for our kids and cared for us, prayed for us as we've gone. And so we're just really thankful for this, this community. Uh, I have the high honor of leading uh, the mission of Young Life in Santa Barbara. And I get to stand on the shoulders of some people who have been a part of this church over the years and some true legends just in the city. Uh, Sandy and Francine McGowan have been a part of Young Life for over 50 years and a part of this church. Kelly Soifer and Esau Sagano, Scott and Jamie Lasea, Rob Crawford, just to name a few. And uh, I get to kind of continue that mission forward. And I, I got to tell you, there's a lot of places to do Young Life. Young Life's a big organization, all 50 states, over 100 countries. But I think I have the best job in the world and not just because it's in Santa Barbara. But there's a long, long legacy of what it means to be on mission for people in our own town. If you're not familiar with Young Life, I'm going to give you a quick history. Here we go. In 1938, a seminary student by the name of Jim Rayburn landed an internship at a Presbyterian church in Gainesville, Texas. This is how the story goes. His supervising pastor looked him in the eye and he said, Hey, Jim, if you want kids to come to your Sunday school, don't call it school. (laughs) And don't have it on Sunday. So Jim figured out the church was right across the street from a high school. And he figured out if he went across the street, just, I don't know, 60 yards across the street. And he started and, and he went to football practice and met their names and met kids on their turf. And if he had students who already knew Christ, pray for their friends and help lead the mission that he could share the gospel with a whole bunch of kids. Just by walking across the street, 
asking kids to help lead their friends to Christ. Jim figured out that kids would not come into the church. So he built a tent outside the church and he put a sign outside the tent and the sign said Club 47 because he knew kids wouldn't come if they thought it was the first one. And with that, Young Life was born. The big idea was this, is that we should go as missionaries into the world of kids, walk alongside them, and we should show them the love of Jesus, and we should give every kid the chance to grow in their faith. Young Life came to Santa Barbara just nine years after it was incorporated. That year was 1951, 73 years ago. Dr. Ryrie, who was in the Bible department at Westmont College at the time and was a contemporary of Jim Rayburn's at Dallas Seminary, encouraged some Westmont students to start a group at Santa Barbara High School. And I know from being a part of this church for the past nine years that many of you here today have Young Life as a part of your story, either in this town or another town. You should know this. As I stand here, I'm a product of Young Life. I grew up in Spokane, Washington, and I was an empty hurting high school kid. On the outside, I had it pretty good, but most people didn't know this. My parents were never around. My sister had a major head injury in high school playing basketball, and her recovery included like serious learning challenges and some scary panic attacks, and she needed a lot of attention. I was alone a lot, which is not a good thing for a high school boy. And I felt alone a lot. So I did my best to be cool, but I was totally lost. And also, I was not very good at being cool. Uh, I have the most vivid memories of standing in my high school, standing in the circle of friends, and everyone's chatting, but I don't hear a single word. All I hear is sound, and I can remember thinking to myself, am I standing in the right circle? Surrounded by people, feeling totally alone. I think this is a common experience for most high school people. Uh, I spent most of my time in high school doing these sorts of things, kind of any scheme or any activity, anything that would kind of elevate my status or popularity. And so one night, some of my friends uh, hatched a plan that involved nothing good and some girls from another high school. It was a Friday night. And I was dressed and ready, and I sat in the kitchen by my phone because I'm old enough to not have had a cell phone in high school. And we still had a kitchen phone. And I sat there, ready to go, waiting for the call that the plan was on, and we were good to go. 7.30 p.m., no call. 8.30, no call. 9 o'clock. And I knew in my heart that I had been ditched. And for a high school kid who feels lonely, getting ditched is about the worst thing that could happen to you. And then suddenly, my phone rang. I scrambled to pick it up. Hello! And on the other end of the phone was my young life leader. And this is what he said. He said, hey Dave, what are you doing? He grew up in Arkansas. That's why he talked like that. And I joined unknowingly into, into a rite of passage that many, many kids have done over the years. And I, I, I joined into this great tradition. I lied to my youth leader. 
Yeah, you've all done it. <laughs> I said, I don't have any plants. <clears throat> and he said, good, I'm picking you up. Johnny lived about 15 minutes away on campus at Whitworth College. I swear he was at my house in 30 seconds. Young life is super safe. I got into his car. We drove to a 7-Eleven. We got Slurpees and Hostess Pies. I don't know why I got a Hostess Pie. He talked me into it. We went to his dorm room at Whitworth College. We hung out with his friends and we decided we were going to watch a movie. And the movie we decided upon was Saving Private Ryan. We watched the first 20 minutes of this movie. If you're not familiar with this film, the first 20 minutes depict a very realistic version of the landing at Omaha Beach of D-Day. I looked at my watch. It was 1130. I had to go. I had a curfew. I was not going to experience the redeeming part of this film. Just the brutality. (laughs) He drove me home. And as I got out of his truck, I remember thinking to myself that after such a silly night and such a terrible 20 minutes of, (laughs) of movie watching, I remember thinking to myself for the first time, I'm not alone. What seemed like a simple invitation was really a miracle. I never hung out with those friends who ditched me again or made plans with them. I spent the next two years of high school learning everything I could about Jesus. And the more I got to know about Jesus, the more I wanted to follow him. So when they asked me to teach this week, they gave me no parameters. And so I said, I'll just talk about myself for three hours. We're not going to do that. But we are going to do is we're going to do what we do in young life whenever we're together. We're going to look at a small section of the gospel and we're going to examine Jesus and we're going to learn to esteem him more and love him more. So if you're able, would you stand for the reading of God's word? It's the gospel of John chapter five, verses one through nine. After a little while, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the sheep gate, was a pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said. For I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. The word of the Lord. So here's Jesus. He's gone to Jerusalem for a festival, which he probably did at least three times a year for his entire life. In the Gospels, we get seven unique accounts of Jesus going into Jerusalem, and each one of them involves the temple, except for this one. Not today. Jesus Jesus goes someplace different today. And the place that he goes to is not the place that most people would want to go if they're visiting a city. Here's what we know from the text. We know there was a pool And we know around this pool were people who were ill, people who were permanently injured, and people with disabilities. 
And this seems like it's their designated spot. It's a large crowd of these folks around. I want to draw our attention to this first thing is this. Jesus goes to broken people and broken places. The image I was given of God growing up and maybe the one that's default in our culture, maybe the one that you grew up with, is a God who demands we tidy things up and go to him. It's this religious view of God. Maybe you've heard this. Maybe you've even repeated this. It creeps into our theology and into our proclamation. We say things. I've said things like this. God can't be in the presence of sin. I'll just say this. Be careful anytime you start a sentence with God can't. If we're to understand that Jesus is the fullness of God in human form, and hear me clearly, we are. We see over and over again that Jesus has no problem with messes, no problem with brokenness, sadness, and no problem interacting with sinners. In the person of Christ, we see a God who seeks out these sorts of people and places and goes to them. What we see is this, and this is the good news, is that sin and brokenness are removed when Jesus comes near. That might sound like the same thing as God can't be in the presence of sin, but I promise you it's different. As Christ followers and as people being formed more and more into the image of Christ, our role is not to avoid sinners or sad or broken places. It is to go to them and to leave them better. We as the church are the continuation of God's mission Our God is a missionary God. I promise, I did not know Rebecca was going to be here this morning. The Father sends the Son. The Father and the Son send the Spirit. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit send us, the church, into the world. Stephen Siemens, who's a professor of Christian doctrine at Asbury Seminary, puts it this way. The church is not as much a sending agency as it is a sent agency. We are sent because the triune God is sender, sent, and sending. An easy way to remember this, break it down for you, is that two-thirds of God is go, G-O. We see this so clearly in the Gospels. Jesus is showing up in places that no good Jewish rabbi should be. He's with the fishermen. He's with the tax collectors. He's pulling a zealot into his group of close friends. He's around scandalous women and other types of sinners. He's going to Gentile regions. He's walking through Samaria and not around it. And if that wasn't enough, here we are one week after Christmas and the ultimate act of going is right in our rearview mirror and we should be celebrating it today. We call it Christmas maxing. Christmas season is now. It's not over. Here we go. Is that this, Jesus, the eternal second person of the Trinity, limits himself and becomes a tiny baby to come to us He needs the help of a mother and a family so that he can just be with us and be among us. Paul summarizes it perfectly and beautifully. And we, I feel like we reference this passage so often in this church and I'm so thankful that we do. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. 
When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you're here today, and you are, And if you're following Jesus, where will you go this year? What mess have you been avoiding? Who can you serve? Where is a place that your presence could make it a better place? I know I'm the guy who works for the mission organization, so this is my leaning. But the way I read the text, this is not optional. We are now a part of this going. After the resurrection, when Jesus appears to the ten, Thomas wasn't there. Judas wasn't invited. He says this. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. What? Don't talk about that a lot. And before he ascends into heaven, he says this, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Apostle Paul says this, For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. This is my story. A college kid left his campus and his cool friends to hang out with me. It was his story. A guy named Steve left his office to hang out with Johnny and his friends when he was in high school. If you look in your story, I bet it's a part of your story. Someone came. Maybe it was a loving parent. Maybe it was a grandparent. Maybe it was someone in your neighborhood, a teacher or a coach. Maybe it was a young life leader. Maybe it was a youth pastor. But someone came. On the eve of the new year, I want to ask you to ask God to show you where you should be going this year. It could be as simple as Slurpees and a hostess pie. It could be as simple as having someone in your home. Where can you make a difference this year to advance the kingdom? Jesus goes. And while he's at this pool where the crowd of of these sick people reside, he has this really peculiar interaction. Among all the people in the crowd, Jesus goes up to one man. This man, we know, has been sick for 38 years. How long has Santa Barbara Community Church been in church? 44 years. 
Jesus walks up to the man and he says this. He says, do you want to get well? And the man says, I can't get into the pool fast enough. I'm going to repeat that because this is a weird interaction. Jesus says, do you want to get well? And the man says, the pool. I can't get there fast enough. This seems like a not, this, this seems crazy. Later manuscripts uh, and most of the commentaries give us, tell us this, that there was a legend associated with this pool. Here's how the legend goes. According to the legend, there was an angel that hovered above the pool. And every so often, the angel would touch the water and whoever was able to get into the water first would be healed. Hear me clearly. I believe in angels and spirits and divine intervention. The writers of the New Testament certainly believed in these things too. And hear me clearly on this. I do not think there was an angel above this pool. I don't think anyone ever got healed there. And here's the question I would ask you if, if you think there's an angel above this pool at all. Can you imagine a society or a group of people that would perpetuate a lie or a legend to sequester the disabled to one section of a city. Can you imagine people like that? Because I can. Can you imagine a family that might perpetuate a myth or a legend to hide away some of their brokenness? Because I was in a family like that. Can you imagine as an individual perpetuating a a lie, a myth, or a legend to hide away a sin, a betrayal, an addiction in your own life? Because I can. I think as people, we're doing this all the time. We're creating stories and myths to hide away the things we don't want people to see. And charging into those places in our civilization, in our society, into our families, into our own lives. Here comes Jesus with this simple, gentle, challenging question. Do you want to get well? When I was in high school, one of the weird things I did to try to perpetuate my status was this. My, I had a teacher who said, hey, you should apply for this position. It will help you with co- your college applications. And I, I, I trusted her. And I said, okay. And so I applied and I interviewed and I got it. And here was the position that I applied for. I was the student representative to the state board of education. <laughs> That's right. In the state of Washington, for the graduating class of 2002, I was the lone student representative to the State Board of Education, which meant this. Six times a year for my junior and senior of high school, I had to go to three-day-long school board meetings by myself as a teenager, as a non-voting member of a school board. (laughs) Yes, I would by myself go to the airport in Spokane, fly by myself as a 16-year-old to Seattle, Washington, where I would get into a rental car with a perfectly nice but not fun or cool school board member, which is what most of them are. (laughs) And we would drive an hour to two hours south to Olympia, Washington, which is apparently the capital of Washington. A lot of people don't know that. I barely knew that. I grew up in Washington. (laughs) 
and I would sit in these excruciating board meetings. They were, I mean, they were awful. I mean, just terrible. I was videotaped, yes, because they're public hearings, and I was on TV, and my friend saw me falling asleep <laughs> on public access because they were public meetings. After one of these meetings, I was in my La Quinta Inn by myself as a teenager with no cell phone, with a, like an envelope of cash for a per diem that I was supposed to somehow feed myself with. And I had fallen asleep at some time as early as possible and just regretting my life. And I, I fell asleep and at two or three in the morning, the craziest thing happened. The fire alarm in the hotel at the La Quinta Inn started going off. And it's just blaring. It's not like a cute fire alarm, right? It's like one of like the terrible ones. It's just like, bang, bang, bang. And if the fire alarm's going off, it's like two or three more. And I'm, I'm there as a teenage boy by myself. And I, and, and I just remember waking up and I'm thinking to myself, what do I do? And the fire alarm's going off, bang, bang, bang. And it's going on for a while. Like this is not like, oh, like something happened, someone switched it off. Like it keeps going. The fire alarm is going off, bang, bang, bang. And now I'm faced with a decision. Do I stay in bed? (laughs) Or do I do the thing that I've been taught my entire life when the fire alarm goes off, you get out of the building. The fire alarm's still going off. Bang, bang, bang. It's been a while now. Bang, bang, bang. And I, I make this bargain with myself. I start listening. I was like, if someone's screaming, then I'll get up. Because surely if there was a fire, someone would be screaming. I didn't hear any screaming. The fire alarm's going off. And I wish I could tell you I did the right thing. But I was so comfortable. And so warm. And I was so tired. And it didn't seem like anyone was screaming. And I stayed in my bed. And here's the worst part. That fire alarm kept going off. I'm pretty sure I fell back asleep (laughs) to the sound of that fire alarm. Friends, I don't know your story. But I've lived life long enough to know that in a room this size, some of you have alarms going off. You've been trying the same old things, going to the same old pool, believing the same old myth about an angel above it that's going to disturb it for 38 years, maybe longer, maybe shorter, but too long. Do you want to get well? I keep getting passed over for the promotion. Do you want to get well? Well, once the kids are out of diapers and are sleeping through the night, do you want to get well? Well, maybe if I get into the right school, I get the right grades, or I marry the right person, do you want to get well? Well, once I can retire. I'm just like this man, reciting the myths that have been given to me while the God of the universe stands in front of me with this invitation, do you want to get well? And I would just say, as you head into the new year, what myths are you reciting? What alarms are going off? Where is your hope? We sang it this morning. We sang it beautifully. I was moved. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand.
This brings me to my last point, is this. Jesus does the healing. The man says to Jesus, he says, I don't have anyone to help me get into the water. And Jesus says to the man, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And it was a miracle. In that moment, everything changed. The man who'd been unwell for 38 years felt health come into his body. He picked up his mat and he walked out in front of everyone who'd seen him suffering all those years. Jesus' power is on full display. It's possible the man really believed the myth and he really was waiting to get in that pool or maybe just maybe that man was a cynic. Jesus asked him, do you want to be well? And the man cynically replies, but he's actually hopeless. He doesn't think he could ever be well. He's been there for 38 years. He's never seen anyone get well. He doesn't think anyone could ever get well. But in a moment, with a word, Jesus changes everything. Jesus is showing his power here, and he's putting on display, and the gospel writer is is making very clear that he thinks Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the fullness of God dwelling among us. It's one of the seven different signs that the gospel writer gives us in this gospel to point to this fact. And it echoes what the prophet Isaiah said about the Messiah that we studied this past year, even at this church. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like deer and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Jesus is more powerful than whatever long-standing suffering is in your life. He's more wonderful than a healing angel or a magical pool. He's more beneficial and benevolent than any of the myths we've bought into. Jesus does the healing. And this is the part of the story that I love so much. It is not the man's good works. It is not his right belief even. He believes the wrong thing. If you keep going in the passage, he doesn't even know who Jesus is. The religious leaders say, they say, who healed you? And he's like, I don't know. Jesus does the healing because Jesus is the healer. It's so good. And if you pay close attention through the gospels, you'll see that when Jesus is healing people, it costs him something. It comes at his expense. If you keep going in this passage, you see by the end of the story, this healing brings him into direct conflict with the religious leaders. And the end of this passage in verse 18, we're left with this. It says, the religious leaders tried even harder to find a way to kill Jesus. Eventually they did find a way and it led to Jesus' greatest act of healing. In the cross, Jesus gave up his life so that we might have life. In his resurrection, he gives us hope of a new life free of pain and brokenness and injustice and hope for a new creation. Jesus goes. He is our hope. And he does the healing. On the night he was handed over, Jesus took the bread. And after giving thanks to God, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the meal, Jesus took the cup 
And after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, remember me. If you've put your hope in Jesus, come to the table and be reminded of how great he is. If you haven't yet put your faith in Christ, know that you're welcome here. And if you'd like to know more about Jesus or what it means to follow him, or if you're tired of putting your hope in the myths, that there are people here who would love to spend time with you to talk through it. There'll be prayer teams on both sides. If you'd like prayer, come to the table and we'll continue with our worship.